Nick Italiano here with my co-hosts Tom Nuge and Ross. What's up, boys? Hello, hello. Oh, the usual. Grumpy. And all right. Yeah, I think we're all a little tired this week because, I mean, I know I'm tired because my kids are off from school and that makes me yeah. crazy. Well, I bet that's why you're hiding in your special studio right now. Yeah, so I know that we've had some commentary in the past from certain individuals about the professionalness of my recordings. Well, I'm not in my super professional kitchen. I am in my super professional bathroom right now and I have some <laughs> wires hanging all over the place. It is, it's a mess. But it works. So anyway, if you're kids, listening, listen for the flush. Man, there's no, there will be no flushing. <laughs> we'll save that for after the recording. Damn. Um. All right. Anyway, so we're talking about kids in the outdoors. I know I have a bunch of kids. Ross has a bunch of kids. You have a dog, Tom. But I have you a little also, dog. Yeah. You were uh, involved in scout leadership, so you know what it's like to deal with kids in the outdoors. Um. How do y'all feel about that? I mean, they're annoying, but also it's a little rewarding when you actually get to like teach them something and you see it click in their head. But, you know, it's it's a lot different than teaching, you know, I don't know, an adult. An adult, you could try to talk to in a different manner than a kid. You almost have to – it's not like talking down to them, but talking to a level that they're actually going to understand and also realizing their limitations compared to like, you know, a grown-ass man that you're trying to teach in the woods. Yeah, and I think – um their interest level too, right? So you, you got to kind of go with what they're interested in. So if your kid is really into uh, picking up rocks on the ground, even though they're boring rocks that don't look any different than any other rock, kind of jumping on that and encouraging like, yeah, that's really cool because it's better than being inside and watching YouTube kids um, versus like, hey, I'm going to teach you how to you know, make a fire or you know, build a shelter. You might lose them pretty quickly. Yeah, I think I think the age appropriate stuff is is important. And you know, like my my kids, both of them are incredibly interested in, in rocks, and uh, <laughs> and that's fine. You know, but I kind of um, you know I made a little game out of it with them where I, we actually try to identify the different types of rocks, like the minerals that are in them and stuff like that. And uh, you know, it becomes kind of fun because like every time my daughter, who is thirteen now, but like every time she finds something that has mica in it, she like loses her mind. She's like, "Dad, it's mica!" <laughs> she, um, so it's pretty cool. But you know, what I find interesting about teaching kids anything is that their learning style is so dramatically different than ours as adults. And while we don't always think that they're paying attention to us, they really do absorb things a lot better than we do. And, uh, you know, to that point, like my, we were hiking the other day and it's early spring here and there's a lot of plants coming out of the ground and we encountered a, uh, a plant. It's a false hellbore and it's a very toxic plant, you know? And I said to my son, I was like, Logan, do you know what that is? And he couldn't remember what it was, but he knew it was poisonous. He's like, it's poisonous. It's poisonous. Don't touch it. So, you know, he's seven which means the last time he saw this plant was when he was six years old and he remembered that. So that's pretty, you know, pretty impressive because, you know, I do the same thing with my wife and make her identify things and, you know, she, she's pretty good at it too, but it's like, he really locked on to that was a plant that you don't want to touch. Isn't that the plant you sent me a DM saying I should go find and eat? Yes. After you buy life insurance and name me as the beneficiary. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to clarify that that was the same plant I'm supposed to be going out there for. At least Logan remembered. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I did it. So I'd good. be dead by the plant. 
What what I find is there's a there's a fine line of um, frustration that you have to avoid though. So at least with you know, my daughter is six, and um, you know she sees me doing all my nonsense with fire and 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 wood and whatnot in the backyard, and she wanted to um, she wanted to start a fire with a ferro rod. So I showed her how to hold the striker and whatever, but you know, she's six, so she's not holding the the rod hard enough. And so the striker isn't quite catching and she got very frustrated very quickly. And, uh, you know, the danger with that is, um, they get frustrated and then they don't want to have anything to do with it versus, you know, finding ways to give them early success at whatever. Um, so they stick with it. So, you know, what I did is I, I made a, a really large handled ferro rod that was easy for her to hold. And then a really long striker, you know, again, so she didn't have to focus so much on technique and she made some sparks. She didn't get the fire, but she made some sparks and she was super excited. So it's a fine line to, to, to walk, to keep them engaged. Yeah. And I think that's a good point is that, you know, especially with the younger kids, um, it's not always about getting them to be successful, but it's about getting them to at least start to be successful. So yeah, like I wouldn't expect a six or a seven year old to like be able to make a fire with a ferro rod right away but if they could produce sparks that's that's a win and that keeps them in the game that keeps them wanting to try to learn and and go and and stuff like that um now tom i know you were involved with the scouts uh what age groups were you looking at so we were looking at from like sixth grade all the way to like high school seniors so that's the group that we were really working with and uh, one thing that we always really valued too, which helped the kids stay engaged, was making it their process, what they wanted to do, making it about them. You know, because that's how I was brought up in the scout troop, and then we wanted to carry that on afterwards. And like by that, I mean like when we were planning trips and everything, it was the senior members of the troop with some of the younger ones that were planning the trips. And then you would have the adult leaders in the background saying when they wanted to plan a skydiving trip, being like, ah, no, no, sorry, guys, that one's not happening. It's like, all right, reel it back a little bit. But then they had the kind of like feeling of purpose and control over what they wanted to do. And it just made them way more engaged in everything. On top of that, you also had to let them make mistakes. And that's how they also learn some very valuable lessons. Like when you're trying to teach a kid when he's going fishing to put his hook back in the eyelet and he refuses to do that eight times. And then you say, you know what? Screw it. Figure it out, Johnny. And uh, then Johnny comes back walking to camp wearing a Rapala as an earring. It's like, well, that's a lesson he's not going to forget anytime soon. Not saying I wish injury upon anybody, but sometimes like that's how you learn by making mistakes and having that kind of ownership that, all right, well, I was told this is how you do it. I didn't do it, but I found out why. Yeah, very, very relevant. And I think it's great that you, you can do that with, you know, older kids and like teenagers or just about preteens. Um, because I think like part of that whole teenage experience is every adult ever doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. And I'm going to do it my way. And until they actually experience something negative or whatever it is, they're probably not going to pay that too much, uh, I know Ross and I have younger children and, uh, you know, it's just, it's just different with little kids. Like you really, and you know, but to your point, giving them control is really important because, you know, when I'm hiking with Logan, you know, I'll often let him pick the direction of our hike. So if there's a turnoff, I'll be like, Logan, you want to go left or right? And he'll pick. Now, does that always work out well for us? No, because sometimes what turns in, what's supposed to be a mile or two turns into five because he keeps bouncing us all over the place. But, you know, 
that's then kinda, you learn that's the value of planning. It <laughs> it's like, oh, we maybe we should have looked into this first, Logie. How about we pick out the next one a little bit, you know, look at a map first and then, you know. But that's how you you touch the hot pot, you make the mistakes and you learn. It's not like anybody died. Like, you know, we say that everybody's gonna die when they go to the woods anyway, but sh- shocker and this time they didn't. <laughs> Yeah. So, so I'm curious what you guys think about this. So, so one of the things I, I think about is like, what age do you introduce certain things, right? So, like, I know I started collecting pocket knives, using pocket knives when I was pretty young, but obviously different generation. Um, famously, I I snapped a uh, Swiss Army knife, a Tinker, uh, closed on my thumb. You know, I was playing with it in my bedroom when I was, I think I was like eight, and. Uh, pretty much severed my thumb. You know, my dad rushed me to the ER and they were able to sew it back on. I still don't have any feeling in that thumb. And, you know, it it definitely taught me to respect uh, knives and and the things that could go wrong with knives. And obviously I stuck with knives. But then I think about, you know, my kids and, you know, my daughter's six. So she's two years away from, you know, do I hand her that Swiss Army knife? You know, and, and, you know, Tom, to your point, you know, sometimes you need to learn a lesson, but, you don't want the lesson to go too far south. So yeah, I'm curious to, what you guys think about that. It needs to, it can't be like a permanent lesson like that where it's like, all right, there's no going back, but to it really, I don't know. It depends on how the kid was brought up and you know, their experience level and the parents experience level. Cause for me, I'm coming from dealing with all different kids, none of which are my own. You guys know your kids better than anybody else. But at least from dealing with the Boy Scouts and especially judging the Klondike Derby every year, there are scouts that are Cub Scouts that did first aid better than I've seen EMTs that I've worked with do. And it's like they're Cub Scouts. So you know that their training and their parents are pretty squared away with what they're doing. But then also I've seen 16 and 17-year-olds that I wouldn't trust with a freaking sharpened stick. So like it all depends on the kid's experience level, which kind of had to gauge by observing them first. You don't just like hand them the pocket in that fridge to see how responsible they are in their upbringing. Yeah. I feel like it's different now too, though. Um, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people tell me like, you know, there's no way they would give their young kid a knife or, you know, let them shoot a gun or any of the stuff that, you know, when I was a kid was more commonplace. Uh, well, they don't want him to turn out like you. I don't blame okay. them. <laughs> Why would you want your kid to turn out to be a responsible member of society engaged in a wonderful yeah. podcast such yeah. as this? Yeah, yeah God yeah, forbid. Talk, talk yourself up a bit more. Make yourself feel better. It's okay. But I don't know. Uh, I, think I, think, I think that – well, okay. I'm going to say this. Need to so take a breath? I think that you know, part of the – I'm going to take a breath. So seriously, because this is something that irritates me, but it's, it's the truth. Um, I think that, you know, we talked about this before, but the stigma that, that goes around, you know, edged camping tools nowadays um, is, is ridiculous because, you know, everyone's afraid of everything. And I understand that, you know, we don't want kids to hurt themselves. Right. But at the same time, like we can't, put them in a little box and protect them from everything. And that's the point of us being parents or us being adult leaders of these youth organizations, right? We're there to help teach these kids. Now on that note, like you said, every, every kid is different, you know, and you really have to, you have to judge it by, you know, the maturity level of the kid. I mean, you know, my daughter got her first pocket knife when she was 11 years old, 
Um, and she got her first fixed blade at the same time. And can anyone guess what my daughter's first fixed blade was? Not from knivesbynews.com. Amora. And so, no, it wasn't knivesbynews.com because I didn't know you then. But um, yeah, <laughs> I think it, it was Amora. Then. It was a, um, and it, it wasn't a companion. I don't remember the model, but it was one of the smaller blade ones. I think it had about a two and a quarter inch. With that wood handle, uh, that red anyway. wood handle. No, it's like, it's a polymer handle. Um, and it was pink and, you know, purple. It was very girly and she liked it a lot. Um, but, you know, I, at that point, I felt that it was a good age for her to have one um, based on what she was doing. Now, my daughter is not, she's outdoorsy, but she's not, she's not out there doing the stuff that I do. You know, she likes to hike. She loves to fish. Um but she's not into like, you know, foraging and she's not into the bushcraft stuff. So I didn't really feel like she needed a knife that when she was younger, because she wasn't going to really use it. So if she had to use something, she used one of mine. Um, but I did want to get her her own and she has them in there in her hiking pack and she uses them if she needs to. Now, my son is seven and I would not put a knife in his hands at this age at all, just based on his maturity level, because he is so hyper and so unfocused. Like the last thing I want him doing is running around with a sharp object. (laughs) Yeah. I think, um, you know, part of it is if you think about, you guys probably have a similar experience. You can tell me if you didn't, but you know what I spent my time doing when I was eight years old, I was outdoors all the time. So I did ran around in the woods, sharpened sticks, threw sticks at my friends, tried to poke my friends with other sharp sticks while they were poking me with their sharp sticks. And, you know, we, we were just outside running around in the dirt, in the woods, fishing. Uh, you know, my grandfather would take me fishing. Uh, my dad taught me to, you know, shoot really early. Certainly I didn't have access, you know, to, to a rifle on my own, but like, you, you know, I was surrounded by all that stuff all the time. So then, you know, a pocket knife was just, it didn't have a stigma. It didn't even have like a, Ooh, cool. It was just, it was a pocket knife. It was just everybody around me had them. So it wasn't a big deal. And I didn't, I don't even think I had a conversation about, you know, safety, or anything like that, because it was just kind of understood, like, this is a sharp thing, you use it for this, you don't use it for this, and you put it in your pocket when you're not using it. Um, You know, versus I think about, you know, my daughter now, you know, she's on her tablet, and she's, (laughs) she loves to spend time outdoors, but her focus is not outdoors, you know, sunrise to sunset, it's YouTube kids and this, that, and the other. So like when she sees my knives, she's, she's scared of my knives. And she's told me, she's like, I don't, why do you have that? Like she asked me, I had my EDN on, um, as I <laughs> right now, um, knives by news.com. Knives um, by and news. you know, she, she, she said last night, she's like, she said, why, you know, why do you always have that on you? And I said, because I might need it, you know? And, and, and she's like, I, I don't like it when you always have a knife on you. And so, you know, not that she's surrounded by that kind of stigma, but it's just not her world, right? Her world is the charging cable for her iPad, not the pocket knife in her pocket. Yeah. It's, it's a different, if it, it's very different world today for kids. And, you know, like I, while I did spend a good deal of time outdoors as a kid, I also grew up in Queens, you know, uh, <laughs> New York. So there really wasn't any reason for me to carry a knife because I, I lived in the city, you know, so it was, it was very different. And I did a lot of outdoorsy type trips, you know, um, with my family, 
but I didn't live in it, you know, and I think it's, it really comes down to is it's going to be a very different scenario if you're growing up in a rural area as to if you're growing up in an urban area, because if you're in a rural area, chances are you've been helping your, your parents around the house outside or whatever it is with these tools for a lot longer period of time than, you know, the kids who maybe help their, their dad hammer something or you know, like whatever it is, you know what I mean? It's also not being treated as that forbidden fruit. Because you know the second you tell somebody they can't have it, they want it more, especially children. So it's like, no, no, no you can't have this. But it's, it's, I think what you're getting at, too, is like they have the explanation that this is a tool for a purpose. And you're just not, you know, just like you wouldn't be driving a truck right now. It's like you'll get there, but this is just a tool for that. But for a lot of other kids that are growing up nowadays, they just see them as knife equal bad, knife's a weapon, or anything else like that, even firearms and everything. It's like, oh, that's only for killing. And it's like, well, not necessarily, but sort of. But, you know, and having that explanation about them versus just being told those are bad, don't use them, don't touch them. And then it's like, well, why? And you have that little hidden mystery, and then they really want to get their hands on one. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I uh, as a kid, I didn't look at having a pocket knife as any different than like I wanted binoculars and a compass and a bandana. You know, it wasn't like I, I didn't get any more excited about the the pocket knife than I did about a screwdriver. It was a tool. It was just something you had in your 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 bag to to do stuff if you needed to do stuff. It wasn't yeah, it wasn't elevated to that level. Well, in the Boy Scouts, the way they do it for at least like an age structure is, and I like the way that they do have it is they have something called the totem chip which is pretty much you signing off on saying that you were trained and you understand the rules and the rules that are in place by the Boy Scout, which are above and beyond what actually needs to be done. But that's the point of it is that you're following them. And then if you make a certain amount of mistakes, you could have that, you know, we would, what we would do is we remove the corners. And if we see Johnny running around with an open pocket knife, he's about to lose a corner on that totem chip. And then when he loses that four corners, then he doesn't get it anymore until he retakes it again. And, you know, so it kind of like instills that responsibility that you need to be responsible enough to have this. And you also need to mark, sign off saying that you understand the training that goes behind this. I don't know. I think it then puts it in more, like I said before, like in their hands. Like this is all in your responsibility now to not lose this privilege. Yeah, I think that's I think that's good. And you know, even with the with the Cub Scouts, like what I'm seeing now, and there's not really too much that involves any kind of knife work at their age, but they do um, introduce them to um, archery and shooting in the form of a BB gun, which I think is which I think is really great because you know safety regarding any kind of firearms or any kind of tool used for hunting is really important. And, you know, we, we don't want to be teaching kids how to be safe with a, with a 308. <laughs> you know what I, mean? so I think having them introduced to firearms in the form of a BB gun in a very controlled environment with other scouts at a young age is really valuable. Yeah, for sure. I think again, that's, a, that's a, unfortunately it's a generational thing where, um, there are so many kids that just aren't exposed to any sort of firearm, BB gun, pellet gun, anything like that. Um, outside of, you know, guns, bad, um, it's also because the parents, are, <laughs> you know, you know, it's not yeah. just on the kids, it's on the parents because that's what we deal with all the time. The Klondike Derby, when the scouts don't know the skills, I'm like, this isn't just on the scout. I mean, yeah, the scout could have done his own research before coming here, but it's on the preparation level and the knowledge that the parents have and the leaders have. 
So it's stemming from above that where a lot of the same generation above them, like their parents don't know what they're doing either with these things. So I don't know. I, yeah. I don't seem like we could always put it on just that past generation because somebody raised them. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's also a part of the country we live in. I mean, right. You know, all three <laughs> of us are on the East coast and the Northeast. And sometimes it's easy to, to forget that, you know, the way things are here and, and, you know, yes, there's rural and there's urban on the East coast, but the East coast is very different than uh, other parts of the country in terms of you grow up using tools, you know, whether that's uh, you know, a varmint rifle on, on, on your property, you know, you, you don't tend to do that as much in the Northeast. So a lot of these skills I think have, have fallen by the wayside and uh, hopefully it's, it's, it's more a regional thing and it's not as bad in other places. Well, and I definitely don't think it's just a generational thing too. I mean, because as to your point, like, where do you live? You know, like I, I didn't develop any true outdoors skills really until my late teens, early twenties, because I took it upon myself to develop those skills. You know, that was, that was something that I wanted to do. So when I was a kid, yeah, I got to get in the outdoors and I got to enjoy, you know, some camping and some hiking and whatever it is. That was definitely more of a occasional rare treat or a family vacation than it was a way of life for me. So it wasn't until I got older and I really wanted to learn those things that I did. And I think it put me at a significant dis- disadvantage because, you know, there was people who were, you know, around my age that were doing the same thing that had so much more um, skill than I did because they've been doing it their entire life. So, you know, I mean, for me, it was a motivator, but for a lot of people, it's not going to be a motivator. It's going to be a, I'm not going to do this. It's too late. And that's a problem, especially for kids, because kids are, you know, they're very sensitive to failure. And if they feel like they're not being successful in something, they're going to stop. So as adults and as parents and as, you know, leaders of scouts and things like that, we really, you know, have to encourage them to keep going, to keep moving forward. And if they fail, we have to come up with constructive ways to teach them that failure is okay as long as we learn something from it, as opposed to I failed and I hate this and I'm never doing it again. Sure. Or find a way to shift their focus a little bit, right? So if they're not finding success in one thing, well, all right, let's go fishing. Let's go hiking. Like there's so much you can do outdoor. You know, I, I was just thinking about what you were saying about not having that exposure early on. And I, I didn't grow up in, in like the middle of the woods. I grew up in, you know, suburbs of Boston, but, um, but we had lots of woods around us and my grandfather was a fisherman. So like I grew up, my earliest memory is like sitting in my grandfather's boat, just watching him fish. And he taught me how to fish. And my dad, you know, going camping, we'd go camping. I mean, you know, four or five, six times a year, you know, I, I, I wish I could get out that often now, but you know, you, but then you see, like, I see my father digging a trench around the, the tent when a torrential rain is coming down and it's like, okay, that's a cool little folding shovel or he's splitting wood for a fire. And, you know, you get exposed to all this stuff and it just becomes normal. Right. So like for me, normal was a fishing pole and an ax and a shovel and a knife. And then, you know, we, we had, uh, you know, my dad had a huge garden in the backyard. So like gardening and, you know, picking stuff and keeping the varmints out of the garden, which is a whole other deal. Um, so, you know, learning to shoot a 22 to, uh, protect the garden at a very uh, young age. And, you know, it was, it's a, and, and again, I, I didn't grow up in, you know, the mountains or the deep woods, but I think it's, uh, 
very different focus, you know, certainly than what you grew up with, Nick. And, uh, you know, my kids don't have all those things, but they're certainly exposed to a fair amount of it. And I try to get them outdoors as much as possible. Um, one of the things I do is backyard camping, you know, so you don't have to wait for scouts. You don't have to go on a huge camping trip, but throw the tent in the backyard, get the kids excited about spending an overnight, you know, in the backyard and hearing all the weird sounds and, you know, getting a little scared, but making it through the night and, you know, the toilet's a 10 yard walk away. <laughs> you don't have to worry about drinking bad water and getting parasites either. So that's, right. that's always a good thing. Still have but, bears uh, though. Yes. That's, Just that's a couple. true. Just a couple. Um, it's finding what yeah. they're really interested in is what, I don't know. I've, that's very important is finding something that they're interested in because there's a lot to the outdoors and their interests can change. Cause like, you know, you could have, especially with like a scout troop, there was always the kids that were very like, they just wanted to do the merit badges. They found them interesting. And then there were kids who couldn't give fuck all about merit badges and just wanted to chop down a tree and make a big fire and do some fun stuff at the campsite. And you couldn't, I mean, some scouts troops would like stifle that and say, no, we're all doing merit badges. This is what we're doing, or we're not doing that stupid stuff. We're going to do this. And it's like, well, you got to make sure the kid is doing what they want or else they're not really going to have that much fun or interest in it. And just keeping it open to like their changing interests and views. Yeah, for sure. One of the mo- easiest ways to get kids interested in, in learning how to properly start a fire and keep a fire fed is s'mores. Yeah. <laughs> right the angle snackies exactly uh you know chocolate and uh and marshmallows smeared all over their faces at the end and that you know that's that's and the goal so they'll you, do anything to get there you teach them the importance of cleaning up or else you get visitors in the night yeah. especially yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you, you teach them real soon how to clean up well or else you're gonna have boo boo the bear walk through your campsite and you don't want that happening yeah, you know, and it's it's actually kind of funny because when I was when I was a kid, I was a very picky eater, and one of the things that I did not eat at all was uh, steak. And I think I was about eight, seven, eight years old, maybe. And I was out in California at Yosemite National Park, and I did a big hike with my dad and my uncle. And I was starving when we got back to the campsite, and my uncle brought steaks to grill at the campsite and that's all the food that we have. And I ate that steak and that was the best steak of my entire life. And ever since then I ate steak. So, um, you know, it, it's just funny how an experience like that, like it changes your whole life, not just your outdoors, but also maybe understand that steak is good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, th- so if you've ever, you know, caught fish and, eating fish that night, you know, on a camping trip like that, that changes, you know, you're, you're, it's a little different, you know, than the kid who only eat chicken nuggets and, uh, <laughs> one particular brand of French fries expands your palate yeah. a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and it's funny too, because my daughter loves to fish and she hates seafood and, but you know, like if she was on Long Island, like one of the primary fishes that we would get, you know, for fishing was bluefish. And she loves bluefish. And out of all the fish in the world that you could possibly want to eat, bluefish is probably like the fishiest nobody, fish. That, nobody <laughs> loves <it's>, bluefish. <laughs> nobody likes that. 
Well, my daughter loves bluefish. Now she she won't go near like shrimp or any of like the more mild tasting things, but bluefish she will eat any way, shape, or form. <laughs> so. Might as well just like garnish it with the fish oil capsule. But, <laughs> hey, I mean, I'm not own. I'm not a tremendous fan of bluefish. So. No, they are fun to catch though. Well, that's going back to what Ross is saying, where the easy wins, like if you want to take your kid out fishing, like do something like that. If you live on the coast, take them when the bluefish are running in. Or like, you know, when it's crappy season here on the lake, it's like, you know, all you need is a little float bobber and a little trout magnet underneath it. And you don't even have to have them playing with icky worms. You could just use that and you could have them on fish all day long. And the same thing works for the adults too, because at the end of the day, like adults are just grown up babies. So it's the teaching styles don't change too much. You just got to have, having fun and keep the interest going. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, you know, I want to take, uh, my daughter, uh, probably in the next, you know, month or so, uh, you know, there's a, there's a little pond. It's, uh, it's a man-made pond that's in a corporate park that's near my house. But, um, someone years ago, as, as people do threw some, some bass in there and there's a lot of bass in there. There's Oops. a lot of different, you know, crappy and whatnot. And, but my, you know, you can, you can just, you can, like you said, you can throw a bobber in and you can catch tiny little panfish all day long there. And for a kid, they don't care. Yeah. You know, I want the big bass. Um, but, but you can catch fish all day long if you don't care what the fish look like. Um, but you so. know what happens is they eventually do randomly catch that big bass and they're like, hold up. What the hell was that? Well, yeah. Then, then it's a problem because <laughs> and then, <laughs> the but, expectations change. But then also too, it's like, well, you want to learn how to catch that. This is how you have to do it. And then it's like, okay, it's, and you explain to them, this is going to be a lot harder and you're not going to catch as many. But if you want that, this is what you do. And then you get that reward factor because they've already done it. Like they've seen it. They know it can happen happen but they just know that that was a fluke and it's not going to happen that often but unless you try to do it this way and get better at it yep yeah i don't know about you guys but like if i think back to when i was a kid the i i i I was fishing all the time but the only one that's like seared into my memory very early is catching you know i don't know what it was a little perch or something with my grandfather you know it's probably four inches long three inches long stuck in my head you know all these years later so even the, even the tiny ones, uh, it's the experience and the like, wow, I caught that myself and, uh, you know, became a lifelong fisherman. Casting out hot dogs. It doesn't need to be the craziest things. It could be something as simple as that. Yeah. I think my grandfather used all the stuff you're not supposed to use like corn and <laughs> <laughs> all the stuff that the fish would never digest. Yep. But yeah, oops. It's always funny too. And I, I work in the day at the shop and everybody's like, you know, some of the old timers come in like, oh, that river's not as good as it used to be. I'm like, you want to know why it's not as used to be? And he's like, like why? I'm like, because you fucking killed all the trout in there. And they're like, what? No, that's crazy. It's like, yeah, no, no. It's because you guys ate all of them, you bastards. It's like, oh, yeah, it still hasn't been as good. I'm like, well, of course not. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, I have a nice stocked pond um, up the road for me. So the, the trout fishing is good there. <laughs> but, um. You know, if you want to talk about like memorable fishing experiences, one of my most memorable fishing experiences was the first time I got bit by a sandworm. <laughs> that was not fun. <laughs> no. I don't, I don't remember if it was a sandworm or a bloodworm. It might have been a bloodworm. So once it's got the four, is that the bloodworm? I think so. I, I don't, don't know. know. I don't remember. Either way, it sucked. You know, when you got to you gotta press their little heads out so you can cut them off before you put them on the hook. And, uh, 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 got me right in the, the, the meat of my hand. And oof, yeah. that was yeah. 
that was an experience. But you know what? That was that was probably the only time that I can. I mean, maybe one other time that I got that I got caught by a bloodworm. But man, let me tell you something. That was a memory that you learned. That was a lesson that I learned because you don't want to get. You don't want to. You get, ain't gonna forget. Get one of those. <laughs> you you ain't gonna forget that one no more. Nope. But I guess that kind of goes back to the whole point they were saying is like you know you kind of have to you have to fail um, to learn and. I think for us growing up, I mean, I don't want to speak for every individual, but I think as a generation for us growing up, like failure was just a part of what we did. And I feel like we almost go out of our way, not us, but as a, as a general society, we almost go out of our way not to allow our kids to fail at things. And I think we have to let the kids fail because you have to fail to learn the lesson. So and I'm not saying like you thing. should make them feel bad about failing, but they should understand that this is why we failed, you know? But winning can't feel good if you don't fail. Like, you need the ups and downs to understand why the good is good and the bad is bad. But if you're only getting a trophy every single time you show up, it devalues the whole purpose of winning. And also, the drive, it sucks away any drive to do better. So, yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that started sure. when I started growing up because every time you did a basketball league, you always got the trophy at the end of the year. Even if you didn't score fucking two points in the whole year, you still, you still got a trophy. And it's like, well, what did I really do? You know what I mean? There's, I don't know. It's, it wasn't a great way to teach lessons to children growing up because then that's also when, you know, you get a lot of entitlement and expecting things to just happen because they're supposed to just happen. And it's not, it's not the case in the real world. Yeah, for sure. I, 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 I really think fishing is such a great way to, uh, to kind of, you, you can have enough reward and enough failure in, in one trip, right? Where, where you know, it, it, you could cast 50 times and, and maybe you just picked up, you know, one sunny. Okay. So now it was like a successful trip, but it wasn't, you know, you imagine if you took your kid out and they, they, th- they, they threw it in 20 times and caught 20 fish. Yeah. Yeah. No. We've had, you know, you know, again, that, that's like the video game with the cheat code on, right? What's, you know, what's the point? Well, well that, that's the thing with fishing, though, is that you never know, you know, and like we used to go out on the Long Island Sound fishing a lot. And, you know, like there were days that we'd go out there that we were pulling in snappers like it was going out of style. And then there were days that we were going out there, we were throwing our line and we'd get nothing. But that's kind of like the... Um, you know, the unknown of it was which was what makes it so so cool is that like, you know, is it gonna be a good day or is it gonna be a bad day? You don't you know, you don't really know. You just and, gotta make uh, sure you don't take your kids out on that day where all you do is catch fish because then it'll be well, ruined. Yeah. Well yeah, because it definitely it definitely sets the wrong the, the wrong expectation. But if you do it enough, then they'll learn that, you know, you're gonna have good days and you're gonna have bad days. And how to make the best out of the bad days, because you know, it's not just I think part of the joy of fishing is not just catching fish, but it's being able to just kind of be out there and relax and focus and, and what have you. So. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to call this the fishing episode. because <laughs> We ended up stopped talking about kids and just started talking about fishing, but you know, whatever. Sorry. Your free podcast doesn't have excellent production value to it. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, but at any rate, but you know, going, going back to the kids and stuff, like I, I think, you know, one of the things that we do as adults, right, is if we want to try something, we'll find that we're either good at it or we're not good at it. And we will either decide, you know, I'm interested in this, so I'm going to work to get good at it. Or I said, you know what, I'm not really at all that interested in this and I'm going to give up. And kids, I think it's harder because 
you know, I, I don't know. And I, I guess I can just use my own kids as an example. Like they have an intense fear of failure and I don't know why, because I'm not like a, Oh, if you fail, I hate you for life or anything like that. Um, but like my, especially my daughter, she's like very fixated on doing things and doing them well. And if she's not doing them well, she gets really upset. And, um, I think other kids are like that too. Not, not all of them, obviously, but a lot of kids are. And it's like, how do you, as a parent or as a scout leader, how do you pad that failure to become a learning lesson while still encouraging them to continue on with the task? So, so my daughter's the same way. And I, I think I know why it's, it's the YouTube generation, you know, so, you know, for adults, it's the HGTV generation, right? Every house has to have granite countertops and every house has to have tile and every house has to have this because that's what you see on TV. And so for kids, the YouTube generation is the same thing. You see all these kids and these realities, terrible reality shows that drive me nuts um, with these kids and they're all excelling at everything all the time and they're not showing when they're not excelling. So, you know, my daughter was watching something the other day where one of these YouTube kid stars is, I'm going to learn 10 new things in 10 days. And, you know, she's knocking out of the park on all 10 of them. And that's just not realistic. And so, you know, when we do something, it could be anything, right? We, again, go, I go back to when, when she wanted to start a fire. She wanted to learn how to use a ferro rod. You know, she got very upset when she couldn't do it. I just have to tell her, like, nobody is good at anything the first time they do it. You got to put in the time. You got to put in some effort. But then I also realized I've got to manufacture. I, I got to stack the odds in her favor a little bit, right? So I, I changed out the rod. I changed out the striker so she didn't have to have the same technique. And, hey, it got a little easier and then a little bit of success. It's not like she started this blazing, roaring fire, but she had enough success. She made some sparks that she she retained the interest. So I think that, for me, that's the answer is – you know, whatever you're doing with them, make sure it's, you know, if, if you're letting your son pick the direction you go hiking, make sure you have a really great time going that direction. Because if you say, oh, this was terrible and, you know, <laughs> why did we let you do that? Well, you know, you're not, you're, you're not setting them up for success. So, so, you know, give them the choice, try to find what they're interested in, but then you got to manufacture a little bit of success, just enough so they stick with it. Um, because they, I think it is a generational thing. They expect to be amazing at everything right off the bat. You give my daughter a skateboard and she thinks she's Tony Hawk. And when she yeah. falls in the first three feet, she never wants to see a skateboard again in her life. Um, I think my, I blame, my life is I blame you too. Well, <laughs> all the social media is a part of it because nobody's ever showing the failures online. It's yeah. all I, at that age real. group. Yeah, I agree at that age group though. Her only exposure to any of that is, is like YouTube it, for me is YouTube. Yeah. kids. She's not aware of Instagram and Facebook and all that, but she sees these, this manufactured reality. And uh, yeah, it's a well, challenge. I think, I think as adults, you know, we have that problem too. Cause as like, you know, Tom just said, like we look at Instagram and we see people who are, you know, one hitting their fur at once. And all of a sudden they have this big blazing fire and everything is perfect and everything is great. And like, whatever it is. So and don't look at my account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like know, this you, guy, Bob know, you're always craft. making fun of my, my flailing when I'm trying to use ferro rods. But you know, but the point is, is like a lot of people, you know, especially like if you're looking at reels, right? Like we have, we have, 30 to 60 seconds to put out content. And, you know, a lot of these videos are heavily, heavily edited. So, 
And, you know, no one actually posts their failures. And I don't want to say no one because some people actually do. And I really appreciate when people do because I think it's such a great learning experience to see how other people did something and it didn't work as opposed to like, oh, look, here's the magic. It works every time. Yes, for sure. I mean, Nuge, you've posted, uh, you know, some some blades like the heat treat was wrong or whatever. I I snapped a filet knife last week. Yeah, exactly. And I remember a while back you did the same where you, you know, destroyed, I don't know if it was a chickpea or whatever it was, but my point is like, you know, you think about all the makers I follow and yeah, you know, a lot of them, it's like, okay, Hey, made some knives today and here's the shiny finished product and they're all perfect. But the truth is, you know, how much micarta, you know, how much G10 is scattered all over the floor, you know, or um, how many how, are in the garbage blanks. pail? That's what I'm saying. You know, before they make it to the garbage pail, you know, and there's you know blanks all over the place that didn't quite work out. Um, yeah, it's interesting. But, I appreciate uh, your failures, Tom. Oh, I'm sure you. I'm sure you get a smile when you see them. <laughs> I'm sure you get a big cleaning smile. Of, Fuck you, Nuge. Glad that fillet knife that you just ground for an hour and a half just snapped on you. But no, it's, I think people identify with it because it's just like a breath of reality in this world of, I mean, even social media is really at some points no different than reality TV. It's all carefully curated highlights that is thrown up there. So I think when people actually see something like that where it's like I'm failing and learning and this is where I think it went wrong, people identify with that better. I think kids identify with that too where even when you're out there – showing that you're not perfect and you're still learning as well. Cause it kind of be like, it's not like, you know, Oh, he's still learning. That means, you know, I still can grow too. Cause he's still growing as well. If that makes yeah. any sense. You know, one of the yeah. things I do do, Nick, uh, mm. I, I fail on purpose um, with my kids. And again, it, is it manufactured? Yes, but, but it helps. So, you know, if, if they're struggling with something, uh, you know, I make sure I, you know, whatever it is, we could be crafting, right? We're just cutting paper and like, you know, my, my daughter's frustrated. She can't cut a perfect circle out or whatever. I make sure my circle is pretty lopsided too. And, you know, it's like, Hey, it's okay. Not everybody's great at everything. Um, and that's anything, you know, you play video games with a kid. If you're, if you're going to jump into that video game and try to like win every round of, of Mario Kart, Get you're not face. really, yeah. You know, so, so sometimes you, you slow down a bit and you let the, you know, so I think finding those opportunities to give them some, some wins, not every time, because you don't want to have that entitlement and that false yeah. sense of, Hey, not only, uh, not only am I the best looking kid on the block, but I'm also the greatest at everything, you know, because my dad says, so, you know, that's a problem too. Yeah. I think, I think the important thing is too, is when we're, when we're dealing with children, we're teaching children, children should see us as people and not as like this elevated, like godlike status that can't fail. You know, um, I, I remember when I was a kid, like I had this perception in my head that my parents knew everything and that did not do well for me in my life because, you know, when my parents, like when I was older and my parents didn't have that answer that I needed, I was lost and I didn't know how to find that answer. So I always encourage my children to see me as a person, as someone who makes mistakes, as someone who is capable of not just making the mistake, but being humble about making the mistake and knowing that if I do make a mistake, that I can fix it or I can learn to fix it. Or if I don't know how to fix it, I'm going to continue to learn that skill. And 
I just think it, a lot of it is just being a good example for our kids, not or the kids that we're leading. You know, it's not it's not being a know it all. It's not being an arrogant, egotistical asshole. It's just being like, hey, I'm a person. I make mistakes. It's okay that you made that mistake. Now let's work to to move past it and move forward. Absolutely. Well, I think we covered enough about teaching and a lot more about fishing. So maybe we could throw that <laughs> this is also about kids and fishing in the wilderness and for the title of the podcast. Yeah, I'd say so. So on that note, let's, that uh, <laughs> let's wrap it up, my friends. Um, thanks for joining us again and um, listening to us talk about our kids and fishing and kids and more fishing. But um you know, if, if you have kids out there, everyone listening to this has kids, like, thank you for teaching them. Thank you for getting them into the outdoors and keeping the things that we love alive, because that's what it's all about. So, on that note, have a great one, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank mm-hmm. you.